I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of people behind the beef. Today is our first episode of 2021. We are delving into who we are and what we do. A big welcome back to any of our return listeners and a hello to anybody who is tuning in for the first time. We thought it would be great to kick off our episodes for the year with a recent interview with our president and board chair, Sam White, of Ball Blair Angus Gyra. Sam sat down with the Angus Australia staff in December 2020 to give an insight into the on-property perspective of the interconnection between society and breeder when it comes to the work done in the office each day to assist in the day-to-day operations of our members. For those who are not in the seed stock industry, and for those who are a little unfamiliar about the role of a breed society, this episode gives a look into how Angus Australia assists our seed stock producers and the industry in general in terms of promoting and enhancing the value of Angus. It also gives a little background into Sam, his family's long history with the breed and what his role as president means to him. of you, well everyone really should be aware, this is Sam White. Sam is our current President and Board Chairman of Angus Australia. Now Sam was raised on Ball Blair, it's a cattle and sheep property at Gyra just up the road here and following a brief stint away from the farm in the Navy and working in the fitness industry in Adelaide, Sam returned to the family farm in 1990 and worked alongside his father Richard White. Uh, For those of you that don't know, the white name is very synonymous um, with Angus Australia and the history of the Angus breed. Sam will touch on that a little bit later. Uh, But now Sam and Kirsty, along with their sons Abbott and Arthur, um, are building on the hard work of the previous generations at Ball Blair to continually improve and have a profitable livestock operation with a sustainable resource base. Last year, Ball Blair celebrated 100 years of membership with Angus Australia, the same time that Angus Australia celebrated our centenary and over 110 years of Angus cattle um, selection, effectively. So Mm. the family's been breeding Angus cattle for a long time. So to say it's in Sam's blood, (laughs) he's no stretch of a lie. Uh, So the ultimate, I guess, aim of today's session is to establish how Ball Blair has evolved in this time as the longest recording membership with Angus Australia why they do what they do um, and how the work completed here at Angus Australia actually contributes to the program at Ball Blair. So I guess just for example how the code that lay and other members of the IT team might be writing actually assists Ball Blair with their selection breeding decisions through to Sam Hamilton processing um, the sale lot information for Ball Blair. So effectively it's providing everyone here in the room, our staff at Angus Australia, a connection with what you're doing in the office and how that actually is implemented and affects people at a seed stock level. So um, I did give a little bit of an introduction, Sam, but I guess first and foremost, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and provide a background to the operation at Ball Blair? Absolutely, Di. Thanks very much. And thanks for the opportunity to be here to speak to you guys, ladies and gentlemen, sorry. Absolutely appreciate the opportunity. so Di's a very gracious, a very gracious introduction. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to uh, recognise, I suppose, at Ball Blair, the work of previous generations because I'm just one of a small number of family members who've made a contribution to the property Ball Blair and other surrounding properties and also contribution to both Angus Society and also to the Angus Brood. 
<clears throat> while our tenure's been long, it's, it's had the normal, we're, we're normal people who are subject to the normal um, uh, implications of running a family business and we, we've uh, just lucky that we've been able to be around for as long as we have and keep the things going the way that we have. So there, uh, there might be a few little tricks that I, that I might allude to later as about uh, how and why that's occurred. But to give you a little bit of a background, Di alluded to a few things. Um, I left as a young bloke. Uh, I think uh, I mentioned when I came inside um, uh, to Jen and to Scott, I said I, when I left home at uh, 17, I knew more than I know now. And uh, of course, I came back as a 30-year-old and um, I'd forgotten everything, of course, and uh, had to relearn it. So um, it doesn't look like it, but there was a story about me being involved in the fitness industry. Well, it's true. Um, and uh, the reality is not what you see here today. It's three decades ago. And um, I still do a little bit of a gym workout every now and then. That's how I um, de-stress. And, you know, that's, that's about us. I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, to have a, a very supportive wife and uh, two gorgeous little boys. I'm an older parent and um, I'm lucky to be in the situation that, that I'm in right at this moment. When we talk about, say, our family's, our family's co contribution, you talk about heritage, you talk about history. Peter, you'll know, Ron, you'll know, uh, Christian and Andrew, you'll probably remember a guy by the name of Don Nickel. When I returned home in 1990, one of the first things that Don ever said to me was, Sam, your heritage means nothing. It won't keep you in business. And um, as you can imagine, it was a bit of a slap in the face with a wet fish. It was sort of like, well, was that rude? But it was honest, if you know what I mean. It's extremely honest. And um, so the end consequence of that, of course, is when I returned home as a 30-year-old, I had to relearn, had to re-educate and I had to reinvent myself. I returned home with a completed accounting degree and postgraduate ag economics studies and uh, gave my father and I an opportunity to see if we could re-evolve our business and continue the development of our business. And as it turned out, as a father and son team, he was ready to hand over and I was ready to have a crack. So I was very lucky um, to be in that position at that, at that particular time. So I got associated with, um, I think Bob Dent was uh, at that stage and Peter, you were there working with DPI. Um, I had to get involved with a number of different people in the industry to relearn, uh, certainly feed efficiency with all of Peter's work. Uh, and. Um, with Don Nickel, Arthur Rickards, uh, the starting of Breedplan and then the recording system Herdmaster, which we're still one of a few that use it. And we continue to evolve our business and our business systems accordingly. So, um, so that's, Di, that's a brief um, on where we're up to right now. There's a lot more to the story, but... Hopefully that'll come up. Mm. <laughs> so you're talking about heritage there, and I'm sure heritage plays a little bit into the answer of this, but I'm sure there are a lot of other factors. But first and foremost, why do you breed Angus cattle? And why do you think your family has actually persisted with Angus for so long, given they were once upon a time considered the poor man's breed? Like, what, what is it that drives your passion? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing is, is uh, I have a passion for agriculture. I think uh, for anybody who's um, lucky to be in this profession um, and supporting it, it's an amazing profession. It is, is pretty tight in terms of uh, dealing with the pressures of cost price squeeze that's inevitable in any business, um, but more in particular in agriculture. That means our costs of production continue to rise and hopefully we're going to get incomes continually to rise. It doesn't always happen, particularly when we reflect back on 2019, but um, anyway, there are a lot of us in the room who did that. So, um, you know, why Angus? 
Uh, my forebears, my grandfather and great-grandfather, they chose Angus because they were best suited to this area. It was, it was a really simple, really simple decision from Hereford and Shorthorns to Angus and um, <clears throat> Angus suited the temperate environment at the time. Now Angus have evolved from small little dumpy cattle to really big rangy cattle back to moderate cattle and our family have been, in, been part of all of that. Uh, seen the small, um, the big, we're sometimes still perceived to be too small and we've been involved in some of the bigger cattle. Uh, so uh, the, essentially the reason that we chose Angus, the, there was obviously an issue of differentiation that my forebears decided to start with. And you were right, out our way, we were one of the only specks of black cattle. And now, you know, every other breed's the, the speck, if you know what I mean. And there are black everywhere out, out on our road. So um, the cattle are suited to this environment. That's number one driver. What appeals to me about Angus? Well, that Angus breed have been, our Angus breed of cattle have sustained us through lots of family issues, lots of, um, you know, intergenerational variation, a lot of business separation in terms of brothers separating and, and it still evolves, it still continues. Uh, Ball Blair's own area, which is originally 10,000 acres, is still owned by extended members of our family. So that's, in today's world, we're pretty proud of the fact that that particular area around Ball Blair is still owned by first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, if you know what I mean. So it's a pretty tightly held area and the Angus cattle have been very good to us. They're a profitable breed and they've been very profitable in this particular environment. And um, and Angus probably suited carcass traits or chase carcass traits more than any other breed earlier than any other breed. And as a consequence of all the members that are in the breed, there's this level of competition that makes every one of us a little bit better. And for us to be able to do that, we actually need input with respect to improvements in management and improvement in genetics. Okay, so there's a lot of contributions that come into that business and they're all available in the Angus breed. So we're pretty lucky um, to be in the breed that we are. The position now of having as many members as we have uh, means that every member is in a position where they've got to continue to get better to remain relevant. And um, as your businesses evolve or evolve, you might find one generation might get a little tired and the next generation comes in has got to have a crack. Now that, that generation that come in have got to be prepared to, they've got to first of all want to have the passion, want to show the passion, want to be in agriculture and then, um, and then add a little, bit of, a little bit of business acumen to it. So you, I guess, effectively gave me a really good segue into this next question about how the work we do as the staff of Angus Australia actually has an impact on your day-to-day -day activities and how you're running your operation. But, because effectively you're talking about how Angus members and Ball Blair in particular over the years have had access to the data, the resources, the tools, the technology, and that's helped you, I guess, to continue in the Angus breed to grow your operation and your production system and to obviously help turn a profit. I guess, can you look at some of the activities that we do as staff in Angus Australia, whether it's the member services team, the IT team, strategic projects, commercial supply chain, any number of the various um, departments that we do have in Angus Australia, how does that work affect you day to day? And, and what are you using that's provided by Angus Australia. Thanks Di, absolutely. Now just before I, got, so I did write some notes on your questions and one of the <laughs> things I forgot to talk about is how is it that our business has survived for as long as it is? Um, I think it's because our business has been adaptable. Uh, every subsequent generation has been prepared to be adaptable and they've, they've prepared to bring in 
changes and advancements in management uh, in both on-farm management systems and in genetics in our businesses. So I think they're absolutely important that, that I put that out there because that's the contribution that the Breed Society makes in terms of uh, not only just, and it's not just keeping the pedigree, but it's adding to pedigree certainty, which I, I think is an extremely important thing uh, for us going forward. So getting back to the things that um, contribute the, from the, this, each and every one of you have I have a lot to do with each of your sections. And now, heaven forbid, I'm in the position as being the president of the Breeders' Society. The 46th president, I think, the same as Donald Trump, and that's not a good comparison. <laughs> and you're just sort of going, so I hope I don't end up like that. Um, so you're sort of going, uh, so when, when I look at the contributions, there, there are a number of things. Right at the moment, what am I pressing with? I probably have a lot to do with Nikki in trying to get the genomic uh, parent verification work, which I think has uh, been an absolute revelation in the industry. Um, we've been around genomics since it started, right back in the, I think it was the mid-90s. Um, we've been used to genomics all that. We have a fully genomically tested herd. I'd like to think, Nikki, that one day in the next few years we might get it so we get everything right with maybe a few errors. Um, but that hasn't happened. And um, just keep on to me. Thank you. Um, and to, so to the registration team, of course, we have a lot to do with Scott and his team um, and to marking the advertising and the promo team, the cataloguing. We're more and more involved each year as we look to streamline our business and get to deal with the people who've got a good platform. Now, Angus has a, an extremely good marketing platform. And uh, in addition to that, each and every one of you contribute to the decisions of lots of lots of cattle. Uh, I think the inventory is over 100,000 head of cattle. The number of transactions, I'm sure some of you know, perhaps Christopher, you know the actual transactions that you guys are involved in. And it, it is always important that I remain focused on the time, effort and energy that comes from you guys um, to assist our businesses in terms of the seed stock operation. One of the things I'm going to come back to, and I want to just take a step back, uh, Scott mentioned why, why do we need all this information and what is it? Well, well, if I can reflect on from 1990 to 2020, we've been in a situation when I returned home, we were selling steers at 20 to 22 months of age, all right, and in uh, bar 2019, so let's reflect on 2018, we're selling steers from 14 to 16 months. That's taken 30 years 30 years to get genetic progress. So genetic progress occurs at a fairly slow rate. Management improvements can change what is perceived as genetic improvement by some, but the reality is it's a management improvement. You know, you can get management improvements on animals of the order of 50 to 60% in one year, but genetic gain occurs at less than 10% annualised. Okay, and, it's, and that's the role that the Breed Society has is reporting back to me on the genetic gain that's occurring in a herd. So for us to get that, so we've had to improve on management improvements in terms of how we manage our stock and health treatments. Uh, we've gone from set stocking to rotational grazing. We're in a situation where we see improvements come with the same animals from 30 years ago. The progeny of our cow herd now meeting their market specs uh, anywhere up to what are we looking at three to four months younger than what they were all those years ago. Doesn't seem like much. Um, but we established and set up a business to ensure that our system that we are setting up in agriculture fits the environment which we are in. And, and as we go into other environments, you find these systems have to be adaptable or vary. And my, my system, if I was in southern New South Wales or Victoria, would be different to what it is up here. 
because of climate variation and differences in the seasons and when pastures available. So your role is to assist in my measure of genetic gain and also the recording of actual genetic gain in a herd. And for that, of course, registrations uh, in our sea stock operation and more significantly, as we evolve and recover from the 2019 disaster, we'll have more cows with the potential to be um, recorded uh, on breed plan commercially than we ever had before. So, and all of those are the issues that you guys will be contributing to. So you, so you can see that we've made a fair fist of turning a business around and, and we also run sheep beside this business. Our plan is never to be in a situation in our business where one sector of the business totally dominates another. And, um, and it's a bit out of skew at this point as we recover from 2019. But the idea is essentially is to have cash flow operating all through the year rather than at peak times in the year. So if we look at we look at the bull sale and we look at the pressures of a bull sale and uh, the, these feelings are feeling shared by all those of us who are breeding bulls and families who are breeding bulls, there's a lot of pressure. And for those families where the stud enterprise is their primary and only source of income, the pressure is multiplied even more to get it right. And for some of them, their income comes in one day of the year and it could come in as quick as one hour. And for that, they spend up to three years getting their bulls prepared to it in terms of the genetic decision being made before they're born, who we're going to mate who to, and when that calf is born and then growing it out and selling it. So your role, our roles are intertwined and extremely important. Information flow and time now and timeliness of information flow is becoming more and more important. And hence um, the work, Christopher, of your team in reporting and getting all our data in, a, in a, an incredible situation where we can uh, see everything that's going on in a herd. So to the team and your guidance, Peter, um, for allowing that to evolve and for everybody who's contributed to uh, the development of Angus Tech and um, the information that's going to come out of that next few years. It's a credit to you all and it's a very powerful tool and it's going to become more powerful as we have that ability to register and do all the things uh, that it's going to provide to us in the future. So pretty exciting. I hope for everyone who's here with us today that Sam painted a pretty good picture there of how I guess each and every one of us, the work we're doing day to day does have a really big impact on particularly seed stock operations and more into the future for commercial operations that uh, are breeding Angus cattle as well. So you've obviously seen a lot of changes over you know the last, well for you, for the last 30 years, um, not only with how Angus Australia operates but how that's affected your business. Yes, Di, look, you, you know, yes, there has been significant change. And remember that when things go tight, there's a natural tendency for the commercial breeder to want to buy the cheapest thing yep. because all he's thinking about is surviving. And, um, and that's a reality, yes. if you know what I mean, and it's a necessary reality. And that's, to a degree, you find that that might be contra to selling good bulls to people that are going to lift them out of uh, their situation. But you're in a situation where, for some people, that's, you know, that, that's uh, it's a pretty tough set of circumstances to put them in that position. I want to talk about the value of a bull because I think it's important that everybody understands it. And, and I think, Andrew and Christian, you've um, put this message out there well and truly over the years. But the most important thing about a bull is that that bull has an impact in that operation. OK, so one bull might, if he's joined to 50 cows, produce 
23 steers and 23 heifers. You know, a few are not going to conceive, and that's normal. Okay, then if that bull lasts for two years, he produced 46 steers and 46 heifers. If that bull lasts for three years, you can see what happens, goes up and up. If that bull lasts for four years, goes up and up and up. If it lasts for five years and six years, while this genetic leak surpassed at that stage, he's still having a massive contribution and the cost per calf is dropping all the time. Okay, so there's a cost of production, a cost per calf born. That's sometimes an impediment for some people when they come to buy a bull because they don't necessarily see that $12,000 can last for three years. They just go, well, that hurts right now. I'm not going to buy it. Is there something cheaper? All I need is something just to get rid of. And there will always, always be a tra trading component in our industry. But what we have found is the combination of use of genetics and use of improved management techniques. And I don't have all the answers. I wish I did, because uh, I wouldn't have got through 2019. I would have got through a lot better than what I did. Um, you're in a situation where the contribution of that bull uh, is, is significant. And that a lot, of, a lot of people look at, you know, we turn over our bulls, why do we not turn over our cows so much? And it's important that you understand that the cow is the asset. She is the factory of our business. Now that cow, if she stays there for eight years, is a pretty powerful animal. All right, we want to know about that potential for that animal to stay in her herd. Now, if we keep that animal till she's 10, 11, 12, um, pretty amazing animals. While genetically surpassed, the cost of production is dropping all the time. But we can put a more and more genetically powerful bull to that as older and older cows and still get calves above average and continue to get our genetic gain. So it's important to understand that we don't turn over our cow herd because it's too expensive. And at a time right now, um, it's extremely expensive to buy cows. Great if you're selling, extremely, and that's, you know, that's ultimately what we want. We want to be part of a process in recovering from the drought of 2019, that in a few years' time, there are more people breeding with Angus, both Angus females and Angus in all areas. So, Jen, your work going forward is extremely important in terms of, as we evolve and develop, um, the influence of Angus across the industry. So, Sam, you've obviously got, um, I guess, a fair amount of pride and I, it probably does come a little bit back to the heritage like I was saying you're not going to survive if you just stick to your heritage but it is a big part of Ball Blair you've got a lot of passion so what is it that makes you such a proud member and breeder? Well it, it is extremely important to our family to have been around for as long as I have and it's it's important to me and to my wife Kirsty of our association with the Breed Society and to carry on that association for as long as we have. I'm proud to be part of the evolution that's occurring with Angus Australia over these 30 years. It has been it has been significant in both the number of members that have come to Angus Australia and also the number of cattle that are now bred by members of Angus Australia. So you know, the Angus cattle are a great breeder, but so are the people who are involved in our industry. You know, there's a, there's a lot of us and we all come from all different walks of life and it's extremely important that everybody has, has made and will continue to make good contributions to not only this business, but to our business as well. Absolutely. And I don't know if everyone's been into the boardroom at Angus Australia and had a look at the honour boards that are up there. Um, the list of presidents is obviously um, one of the, or a couple of boards now that are displayed up there and the white name is on that board on a number of occasions. So um, 
the White family has obviously dedicated a lot of time um, to Angus Australia and the board. So what's made you decide that now's the time to step up, previously to step up onto the board and then into the president's role? Look, the Angus breed of cattle have been an amazing breed of cattle. When I look at all the changes that have occurred in our personal businesses and whenever we've you know we've had issues that have come up we always reflect back as to what's got us through and it's our herd of angus cattle if you know what i mean and and the breed of angus cattle and so i suppose for me is uh, while there is a heritage there's no expectation for me to serve as a president uh, i'm just lucky to be in this position at this particular time the reason that i that i'm on the board is because i want to give something back and i feel that this breed is uh, certainly contributed to many people's businesses around this country and, con and will continue to do so uh, long into the future and, um, and it's great that I'm part of it. So occasionally I look back on the deeds of, of the past, you know, uh, my father was president of the Angus in the, I think it was 69, 70 and that was when the world, first World Angus Forum was. My grandfather was president uh, in not the first year, I think he was after his, his uncle. We do have it all. We yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't want to go back because I'll get it wrong anyway and I'll be pulled up. And of yes. course my uncle was uh, the president of the next World Angus Forum and it looks like irrespective of um, circumstances with COVID that that may not be the sake for me. But my contribution is still as significant as any, as any family member who has put their name up to take on this role which is is significant in terms of time and cost and it's something that we don't do lightly and it's something that we give uh, and give gratefully and um, it yep, has its challenges but uh, we still got to keep focusing on the big picture of moving the Angus breed forward. Yeah absolutely and I'm, I'm sure all the staff and the members certainly appreciate the time that um, you do put in because it can be a fairly selfless task when you're trying to run your own business and we do know last year for a lot of people was a challenge to get to board mm. meetings and various other committee meetings that you're required to do when you're trying to run a business in the middle of a drought so well likewise Di yeah good point and uh, but you know Zoom and now you guys team meetings it's pretty amazing what has come as a vault of those and we've all got to continue to evolve and you look at how many people went on auctions plus yeah. um, you know I could sit back and watch a bull sale every lunchtime you know, pretty amazing. Yeah, Couldn't do that before. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Going on. Yeah. Well, that brings us to, I guess, the end of my questions and what I had to ask Sam. So I'm hoping that he has been able to enlighten you guys a little bit about how what you're doing is impacting on not just the ball blower operation, but realistically the beef cattle industry as a whole. So I guess if there's any questions from any of our staff, I'm sure Sam would be more than happy to answer them, whether it's how what you're doing in the office does impact or what Sam's actually doing on the place. I know um, Scott might have a few questions to, to add to that, so we'd certainly appreciate that. I just want to make note before we go into the next section of the podcast that the questions given to Sam from the floor have been re-recorded for clarity's sake. You made a comment about the cow herd sticking around for a while. They talk about it in the pig industry, which is obviously achieving massive rates of genetic gain, of an animal at nine months of age being genetically of no value. Do you see this world existing in beef? Yeah, like that's pretty aggressive, isn't it? It's in, in terms of genetic gain. Well, the beef industry is the beef industry has got a lot, lot longer turnaround time. In other words, I think how many litters does a pig have in a year? There's a few, yeah. All right, and uh, we have one calf per year. And if we're lucky, we get her in calf each year. 
All right, the issue is to try and do that. So it is important, while, while, while I've just said to you I might have animals at 9, 10, 11 or 12 years of age, um, you probably won't see them in the seed stock herd. Those animals are still superior commercially uh, in, our commercial, in our commercial sense. So the reason that I may, may uh, have older cattle, and it's not something perhaps I would promote, is that when you're expanding out of a difficult time, that older cow is productive year on year, is already unquestionable in terms of fertility, so she has a contribution to make commercially. In the seed stock industry, I take your point. What they're saying is the next generation is the most genetically powerful group of animals that are going to contribute to the ongoing development of a herd. Our, our goal is to find those animals at an early age and to replicate them. So we use all technologies uh, at home in terms of AI and embryo transplant. So we're looking for the next generation of cow. Every calf crop, as soon as they hit the ground, we're looking and breed plans where we start to look. Obviously, we want to make sure the calf's normal, four legs, not excessive white, um, good nature, all those sort of things, which when we pick it up and weigh it is usually where we find out that, you know, mum actually likes us or doesn't like us, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, good point. The youngest generation are the most powerful and that's where the future of our, our business and our industry lies. In the seed stock industry, we put a lot, of, a lot of emphasis on selecting from those younger animals, but we need to have more information, be that genomically, with higher accuracy to really be certain of those decisions going forward, okay? So um, that's, that's a challenge uh, that's shared by everybody in the industry. Yep. From a president's perspective, where would you like to see Angus Australia in five or ten years' time? I think we've got a massive number of issues on now. Uh, this, is the herd going to continue to expand? Uh, are we going to continue to increase at the rate we've increased in the, in the past? Perhaps we won't. So there might, I suspect, you know, I hope there is. I hope the work plays out as we develop into Queensland and that we continue to evolve the number of bulls that are being bred and the number of animals that go through the inventory of Angus Australia. Of course, there is always that opportunity to expand into other areas around the globe. Uh, and those, you know, they may or may not come into fruition, who knows. In terms of the service organisation of Angus Australia, look, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we're providing good information. What's going to happen is we want to do everything that we're doing now quicker, faster, smarter and cheaper than we've ever done it before. And technology is the part that provides that, if you know what I mean. So I think the services of, of um, tech at Angus Australia will be, will be extremely valuable going forward. I think we need to really... Uh, I, I also think that the uh, benchmarking herd, uh, cyber benchmarking herd is extremely valuable. Uh, it is strategically important from a business point of view. Uh, for Angus Australia going forward and will remain so for quite some time. We have a number of issues facing us as a business and, uh, and, uh, and I think everybody's handling it very well. So I'll see, in, in summary, I'll see perhaps we'll continue to grow a little bit depending on how we develop outside of this, outside of um, 2019 and that's all going to be dependent on, you know, who's going to miss because we're going to, there won't necessarily be that many more cattle. It might be that another breed is, is, it comes as a consequence of something else. We've got to be very wary of that 
and uh, and we've got to be very progressive in what we're producing as a breed and what we're supplying as a breed society. Member services, it's, it's extremely important going forward that we remember that um, all our members, you remember me talking about the pressure uh, of a bull sale and one day in a year, um, each year, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure and it's always important and you all do a great job to remember that sometimes on my side, perhaps we get a little bit frustrated and, um, and it's just, we've put a, a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that. So I'm not sure that that's provided clear indication of where things are going forward, Andrew, um, but I consider that it's important that we continue to develop as we're developing now. Um, and we keep, keep remembering that as much as y you guys are contributing to my business, you know, we're all people and we're all prone to making a few little, you know, what we shouldn't be doing perhaps. Um, if, if I'm frustrated with someone, I regret it and I'm sorry and I always say that afterwards and, it's, and I'm sure that's the case with other. And I know you have uh, a number of members that might ring you and might be frustrated, but just it's all about empathy. So the most important thing for, for you guys, and I think you're handling it extremely well, is uh, the empathetic attitude that you're providing to members on the present circumstances. And, and look, you know, 2019, uh, I think the work that was done by the Breed Society in terms of assisting people getting through it was remarkable. And, um, and it's a credit to every one of you and, you know, to the, to the accounts team who've got probably the worst job. You know, it's, it is remarkable in terms of the job that you do and we've got to continue to do. We've always got to keep reminding that we've got people on the other end of the phone and someday you ring them up and we're all in a different mood at that particular time. I might just add to um, Andrew's question just a little bit there. Do you think there needs to be a focus on sustainability and coming back to sort of our right to produce beef? and looking into that area? Yes, Di, look, uh, good question. Is that the role of the Breed Society? Um, I'm always asked, is that yep. the role of the Breed Society? Um, it's the role of the MLA, the social licence? Yep. Is, it, is it something bigger than us? Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. How are we going to recognise that if somebody's doing everything right, what is it that gets them or makes them better than another? That's, that, that's the individual. That's up to the individual, I think. Yep. Yeah, um, good question. I wanted to ask more about how you interact from your seed stock as well as commercial business further down the supply chain and what kind of impact that has on the decisions you're making. Right, well, good question, Liz. So, so the question's about, I suppose, really about feedback from a commercial point of view of, of getting feedback and how important is that feedback. Well, um, over the last 30 years, if we first of all didn't find out exactly where we were in the sea stock operation, and that shows up in a really obvious way, your bulls, and they generally don't sell, okay, and so you've got to do something. And, but before you do something, and you know, I'm often reminded of, uh, of the owl in Peter and the intuitive, I don't know, emotional bull breeder that's out there that perhaps might be in front of you, that sometimes you can be rash and make a quick decision and it's always best based on information. We were lucky enough that as part of the Beef CRC we started to get information commercially and also in a seed stock operation. So the flow of information is, is extremely powerful in terms of giving you signals as to where you've got to tweak. Uh, your business. So we've shown over 30 years how important it is for us to to actually keep getting the feedback. What, what we find is we find it's even one step further now uh, and that's perhaps because of the density of competition and that is that 
the, the businesses of bull breeding and the business of supplying steers, there's also a personal relationship in there. And it's extremely important that, that personal relationship is recognised and it becomes an extremely important part of how we go forward and do business. Uh, not everybody would, you know, like to come and buy a bull from me, but that allows they to go to Di's family or to somebody else's family or whatever. It, you know, that's just business. That's how it happens. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's answered your question, Liz, but feedback's extremely important. A bit further past that, so factors around the marketplace in terms of what consumers are looking for and how Ball Blair interacts in that space. Uh, how, how, do we, how do we react? Um, I react with the next client in my chain. So the next client in my chain is the feedlot, Rangers Valley. We facilitate Rangers Valley's relationship with their clients. So with all the chefs, with all the restaurants and wherever we get an opportunity to visit a city, wherever it is in the world, we make sure we go and have some Rangers Valley beef. So that is a, a level of connectedness above and beyond perhaps what some people are doing, but that's, that's how we do it. Is that what you're after? In your opinion, what are the greatest challenges and opportunities for the Angus breed and also the wider brief industry from your perspective? The, the, the challenge of the beef industry uh, has been mentioned in terms of Dyer's comments, in terms of a social licence, providing clean green images. We are getting hammered by a, a political relationship that we have no control over. And so our suppliers have evolved, adapted, as Australians do. And for example, you look at the valley, they're now supplying beef from two or three different processing plants that still have access to China. You know, I, I would suggest that political uncertainty has now become one of the aspects of businesses going forward that is now possibly a threat in terms of where the beef price is set now. Beef prices are at, at unusually high levels um, and we couldn't have scripted a better recovery coming out of a drought than what we've got today. I don't see that lasting. Even the predictions, I think, for dollar cost going forward is it's going to drop. Where's it going to drop to? I don't know. Um, but it won't be this way. might come past it in a decade or two decades, but for the moment. So there is going to be huge competition in the beef industry from the perception that we can produce a meat alternative. Um, it's not big, it's there, and it's a perception. Uh, a lot of people in the city, uh, you know, they still love eating meat and they still love eating beef. And, and for all the people that I speak to, though, it doesn't look like they're going to change. Um, you, heaven forbid you look at COVID and you look at the challenges that that presented and everybody was fearful that they weren't going to get their next meal. We export, you know, more than what we produce, twice as what we produce or what we need in our own country. Uh, same with every other fruit and vegetable. Uh, we've got a lot of resources in this country and we can supply our country. But the issue is, is it's all about pricing and being able to tax. So international uncertainty is a big risk going forward. Um, opportunities going forward. Are we going to replace chicken pigs or uh, um, fish, no. but you see the pressure on fish stocks around the world and you're going, I think the price of protein is going to continue to rise. I think so in terms of the cost price squeeze, we're going to see the price go up. It's just we're at this real big peak now and it'll come off that and then it'll start a slow rise. I think the opportunity over the next three to five years in terms of producer and for those that are involved in the agricultural industry are going to be good in terms of pricing um, because it'll take quite a significant number of years for us to actually rebuild our herds. 
uh, the threats, there's always a threat of busting the lean, clean, green image. It's an extremely important thing that we keep going forward. We talk about social licence, remember that. A lot of other countries are talking about survival, not about social licence. So it's sophisticated. It is in this society and it is in some other societies. It is an issue. I'm not sure if it's an opportunity or a threat. You know, as we go forward, I think people will perceive those who are good custodians of their country going forward. I think there is going to be a level of connectedness of a lot of people who want to eat our beef are going to want to see proof of it. How? Well, that'll be up to each individual business, I would suspect. The issue, the threat of um, threat opportunity of reaching carbon neutrality, it's extremely important. It's extremely important for the beef industry going forward. Of course, there is a perception, and it's, it's peddled pretty wide that we're not, um, and I don't believe it's true. But, uh, you know, they market a bit better than I do. Well, thank you, Sam. Unfortunately, we're going to have to pull up stumps. Sam's contact details are obviously available uh, readily from the Angus website. And if you go to the member search section on Angus Tech, uh, you can, I'm sure Sam would be more than happy to answer any questions that anyone has after this. And Sam is regularly in the office as well. So my hope for all the staff here today that that all gave you a really great insight to how what we're doing day to day impacts on the ball Blair operation and the wider beef industry. So Sam, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, I'm sure you've given us all a great insight. And that's all we have time for for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you gained a little more insight into the role Angus Australia plays for our members. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast and let us know what you want to hear from us in 2021. And while you're at it, if you haven't already, go check out our previous episodes covering all things Angus. Today's recommendation to our listeners is a reminder to members with upcoming sales that Angus Australia has a number of resources you can utilise to promote your sale including Angus Select. Angus Select saw a hive of activity during 2020 with over 220,000 catalogue searches for the year and 1.24 million animal searches on the Angus Australia database. Listing a sale catalogue with Angus Select is a great place to display animals for sale and provide prospective buyers with the latest information as it's loaded with features designed to assist users in utilising the full potential of the Angus Australia database. There are so many features, like loading photos and vendor comments to accompany your online catalogue, linking the hard copy and PDF catalogues, and linking pre-sale videos. Also, if you're in the market for a bull this sale season, Angus Select is an excellent way to peruse all the catalogues available to find the best bull suited to your breeding objectives. To access Angus Select or to learn more about the Angus Australia database resources, chuck a visit to angusaustralia.com.au. So that's it for now. We will catch you all again in the next episode.